Welcome to this week's podcast from the Equipping Center. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Jacob Biswell. We're so thankful for the blood this morning. We're so thankful that you've ransomed us, God. And we thank you that your presence is in this room. We thank you that the Lord is in this place. And God, we thank you this morning that you're releasing fresh miracles. We thank you that you're releasing fresh glory. And we thank you that according to Isaiah 10 and 27, that the anointing breaks the yoke. And I thank you this morning that yokes are broken. I thank you that sickness is destroyed. I thank you that diseases are eradicated. And I thank you this morning that breakthroughs in the room. I thank you, Father, that where you are, breakthrough is. And Father, I thank you that your word says where two or three are gathered in your name, you're in the midst of them. Therefore, breakthroughs in the room. We thank you, Father, for breakthrough in the room. We thank you, Father. We glorify you, Jesus. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. Father, I thank you this morning for the anointing that makes preaching easy. I thank you, Father, that when I reach my hands out and pull them back, it'd be your handprint that's left. I thank you, Father, that your word is alive, it's active. And I thank you, Father, that this morning that there would be a fresh anointing for your word in this place. That, Father, I might communicate what is on your heart in this season as you're calling us to be sons, not servants. And, Father, I thank you that a season of sonship is upon us. And that, Father, we'd hear you clearly in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you love him this morning, why don't you shout as you sit? Hallelujah. 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 How many of you love his presence this morning? Hallelujah. Turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Well, I believe there are miracles in the place because A&M beat Bama. Hallelujah. Even if you're not an Aggie fan, that was a game to be. Wow, wow, wow. Did you ever think that your pastor would talk about football from the pulpit? I mean, that's a miracle in itself. I was in the stadium last night uh, working concessions. I was not watching the game. Kyle, will you do me a favor? Will you get those lights over there? Uh, just so I can see people, because yes, the lights are blinding, and I want to see, oh, look at, turn them all on, there we go, hallelujah, there we go, there are people in the room, but I was, I was working concessions with Still Creek last night, and I'm listening to this roar, and you know, you can't be a preacher and not hear God in the middle of something like that, and so I'm standing in this stadium, 106,516 people in the seats, not including all of the people working concessions and security and all of that estimated 110,000 people in that stadium last night. And I'm standing there and God's speaking to me as I'm asking people, large or small? Pepperoni or cheese? Hot dog or sausage wrap? We don't take cash. No, I have to keep the cap to your water bottle because apparently people throw caps in water bottles. And people getting angry that I have to keep the cap to their water bottle, especially the girl who bought five one liter bottles. And I said, you can't have any of the caps. But I'm standing there in the middle of all of that. And I just began to feel the Lord say, I'm releasing a roar. I'm releasing a roar. I'm releasing a sound in my people. I'm releasing my people to catch their voice again, that they would begin 
to rise up in this hour in a season where the world is trying to shut down the voice of the church and there are nations literally saying church can't exist anymore. Nations like my beloved New Zealand who, who have stepped into the greatest draconian state in the world and are literally silencing the church and trying to say, if you don't have a jab, you can't go to church. And listen, this isn't a debate over whether or not you should get the vaccine, okay? I, I got it. I'm not telling you you need to. What I am saying is the government should not be saying to the individual, you have to do A, B, or C. And, and I'm not talking politics this morning. Let me be clear. I'm talking kingdom because the church needs to arise with a voice again. And the church needs to arise and say, we will gather whether you allow us to or not. We will walk in our mandate as kingdom people whether you allow us to or not. And the church better wake up in this hour because, listen, it's, it's not the days of the 50s anymore where the culture says Christianity is normal. We are in a culture where they say Christianity is not normal. And so we've got to understand the season that we are living in. And again, this is not about politics. Hear me, church, because I could care less whether blue or red is in the White House. I could care less whether you get the jab or not. What I do care about is are you walking as a believer and are you walking in your kingdom authority and are you walking in your mandate from heaven, which is to be a son or daughter? And that's what we're talking about this morning. So Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I'm actually going to read out of King James this morning. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some men, but, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. Here's the key, verse 6. But Christ as a son. Here's New King James. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm until the end. Let me read out this translation. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. Whose house we are. Christ was faithful over his house, whose house we are. We are the house of Christ. If Here's, here's that word. Anytime you see if in Scripture, you better pay attention. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the boast of our hope. There was boasting going on last night like nobody's business. The Cinderella story of a century. And how much more should we boast as the house of Christ? And the challenge this morning as we've been talking about sons, not servants, is that we would consider that comparison. I talked about it last week. We would consider that comparison between Moses and Jesus, where Jesus is counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Why? 
because Moses, who was faithful, Moses was faithful, but he was faithful as a servant. But Jesus, who was faithful, was faithful as a son in his house. So we have this comparison, both building. They were both building. Moses was building the house of God, and so was Jesus. But see, Moses was building a temporal house, and Jesus was building an eternal house. I put up a post this week on, on Facebook, if you know your pastor, uh, what does he say? And, and something that I think it was Mike Lauser wrote, he said, and I, I do, I say this all the time, God used to live in a box, he got out of the box and got into you. Used to be that if you touched the box, he died, and now he lives in you. Because he was building a house. And so we have this comparison and what we need to look at is that the way Christ built was more glorious because he was building not as a servant but as a son. And the issue of whether or not we will build as sons or servants is an issue of attitude and the attitude that we carry and when we're building into the building that God is building. See, I don't want to build a building that I'm building. I want to build the building that God is building because they who labor, labor in vain if God doesn't build the house. And what house is He building? Yes, in the natural, God is building the equipping church, but really God is building you. God's not really interested in the edifices of men anymore. He's not really interested in, in whether or not we're a big church or a small church. He's interested in whether you're the church. He's interested in whether or not you're walking as the living mobile tabernacle of the Most High God and that wherever you go, your shadow becomes dangerous. If you don't have a dangerous shadow, you're not doing anything. It says that they, they would lay people out in the streets just in case it doesn't even say that Peter's shadow did hit them. I think we've taken that out of context too many times. We're like, oh, well, Peter's shadow healed the sick. It says that just in case his shadow might touch them because they recognized that Peter was overshadowed by something. Peter carried a shadow of the Almighty. They who abide in the shadow of the Almighty. See, we are the house that God is building. And yes, we've been talking about how God is building the equipping church. And, and, you know, I believe that there's some prophetic words about to come to pass over this house. And we're being intentional. But at the end of the day, if God doesn't build people, it's not worth building a church. So it's about building as sons. And in order to be sons, we've got to change our attitude. Because Matthew 16 tells us that God is building the church. And as co-laborers with Him, the attitude in which we do it is important. John 10 and 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. This is so important to us in this season because there are voices seeking to scatter the sheep. And if we are operating as sons, we will not see the danger coming and flee. The son who has a stake in the family business will risk his life. He will defend the house. Pastor Hector talked about being living sacrifices. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means that when we look at the house that God is building, we are willing to be the house that God is building. We are the living stones. As sons, when we see the danger, we will defend the house. That's why I'm, I'm just going to be bold in this season about saying, church, wake up. Because I've got to defend the house that God is building. And so when the world is saying, 
Church is not essential. When the world is saying that you don't need to gather. Listen, let me tell you something. The church is even saying you don't need to gather. You know something is wrong when the church is saying we don't need to gather anymore. The Bible makes it very clear. Do not forsake the assembling of the brethren as some have made a habit of doing. Listen, you can watch church online. Yes, there are great preachers out there. I listen to some of them, but it does not replace the assembling of the brethren. I would rather assemble with a group of people and have someone who can't preach than sit on my couch at home and watch someone who can preach. Because there's something about it. Because, and and I don't care what your eschatological viewpoint is this morning. I don't care if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, a post-tribulation rapture. I I don't care if you don't believe in the rapture. What I'm going to tell you is where we are headed. If you're not part of the brethren, you won't make it through what's coming. Because the the way that God structured us was as a body. And so we've got to understand that in this season, that being connected to the house of God is essential for what is coming. Because they will say in this nation, now maybe because we're in Texas, the greatest nation in the United States, it'll take a little bit longer, but it's coming where they will say, you cannot gather. It is coming where they will say, it is illegal to gather. And in that day, what will we do and how will we respond? Because if we don't understand who we are as sons, then servants will say, I don't need to go. What's in it for me if I go? Sons understand the cost. With Christian believers, some take a position of a need-orientated approach to building. What do I personally get out of it? But the call is to rise in a greater attitude and approach. We are building with God, not for our own needs, but for the purposes of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes, well, how do they know? They will not hear unless someone preaches to them. So I want to talk about those characteristics between sons and servants. And talk last week, I gave you the first three. The first one is sons build the house while servants simply serve in the house. Number two, and I think they're going to come. There they are. Sons are always family orientated while servants are always issue and ministry orientated. Number three, sons use the language of family because they're family orientated. Servants will use individual terminology while we as sons will be family orientated. Number four, and these are the ones we're going to talk about this week. Number four, sons honor headship and cover their father's nakedness and don't delight in exposing the nakedness of spiritual authority. What, what, what does this mean? Pastor Jacob, why are you talking about this this morning. It's an important conversation that we need to have. We face this frequently in our culture. We come across the failure of another. And let, let me be clear. I am not endorsing sin this morning. I'm not saying that sin doesn't need to be dealt with. If you've known me for any length of time, you know I will hit it head on. Give me the hammer. The prophet in me comes up. Let's deal with it. But a trend I have found 
to be true in this season is that people don't actually want to restore. They just want to talk. Because when we deal with sin, it is always for the restoration of the person. There are situations that never need to be shared from the pulpit. They just need to be dealt with in the counseling room and accountability needs to be there. In Genesis 9, it's, it's a story of, of Noah who's drunk and naked. Remember Ham, he sees his father naked and he went and told Shem and Japheth. And Shem and Japheth walk backwards to cover their father. And what comes is a curse over Ham's life because he uncovers his father's nakedness. <coughs> because here's the deal. Servants, servants will use their father's nakedness to promote themselves. They will use the sin of another to say, see, I haven't fallen into that. But the Bible's very clear. When you are dealing with that, be careful that you not fall into the same thing. I was going through an old Facebook post. I, I love when those memories come up on Facebook. And I was in a season a few years ago about writing about a, a, a particular function in the church of worship leading. And I was addressing some attitudes around it. And I had a particular worship leader who was just fighting me on every single thing. And saying, no, you can't say that about worship leaders. You know, da 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 All the while, this particular worship leader was living a full double lifestyle. And I thought back to that whole narration of time and everything that was happening at that time. And I thought, Lord, guard our hearts lest we fall into this same sin. Because listen, I'm not promoting the covering of sin. Yet there is a place where we do need to cover one another, especially those who are fathers. If you've gone through any type of church hurt, and, and we all have, right? We could raise every digit on our body and say, yes, I've gone through church hurt. We don't need to go place to place talking about all the things that happened at the last church. Doesn't need to happen. We don't need to go through and re-rehearse all of the stuff. Yes, that, that pastor may have messed up. Yes, that pastor may have not been healthy. Bless them, release them, move on. Don't create a narrative around all of the stuff that went bad at the last place. Because I can guarantee you, if that's how you live your life, when you get to the new place, you will perceive the new one as the last one. And then you'll go on to the next one. Well, that pastor did the same thing the previous pastor did. And ten pastors down the road, a mirror needs to be put in your face and go, hey, you're the common denominator. Because this is what happens when we don't operate as sons and we operate as servants. You know, anyone who comes to me and says, you know, my, my last boss did da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And the boss before that did da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I go... So what'd you do? Because if everything up until that point was all this story, then maybe there needs to be an adjustment there. So often one will uncover the nakedness of another, then use that to put down that person and promote themselves. And the key is sons will seek to work with one another to protect and defend each other. And even when there is failure, they understand it's not a matter for public display, but to work to minister to each other in the bonds of love. That's the heart of the father, that we as sons would seek to work together in the bonds of love. Number five, 
Sons honor naturally the chain of command. Sons continually need defi- or I'm sorry, servants continually need definition of lines of authority and chains of command. Sons know authority instinctively. Why is this important? Why, why would I say this? Because when you're a son, you understand authority and responsibility. A person who continually has to ask the question, who is over me? Who has authority here? You know you're dealing with a servant. Sons can come into a place and just go, I recognize and honor authority. And I will operate within that. I don't need to try and figure out all the little pieces and parts because sons know who the fathers are. Sons know who appointed them and honor that. The issue is a true son instinctively knows who's in authority and have an inner attitude of recognition. Number six. Sons want to share their lives with the fathers down to the third and fourth generation. Servants promote their own vision. Every house has a vision. And where this is important for us is that oftentimes in our culture, it's about me, 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 me. That's why we have memes, memes. And, and what I mean by this is I'm not necessarily talking about catching just the, the vision of the equipping church. That's important. If you're called to this house, you need to, as a son, catch the vision. I'm talking about your house. Are you living in such a way that you are preparing your family for the third and fourth generation to walk in the blessing of God? Are you living in such a way? See, there have been too many generational gaps in the church where one generation gets it but keeps it for themselves, doesn't impart it to the next generation, so then that generation loses it. And so then maybe the generation after that discovers there's some spiritual blessing in their heritage, goes back and picks it up, but then they've got to deal with all the hurt that came because of the missing gap. So sons live as though vision is the most important and that vision is communicated beyond themselves. It doesn't stay with just me. It goes beyond me. I live in such a way that I am imparting blessing beyond my own life. And that I'm serving a vision greater than myself. Servants promote their own vision. Sons seek to bind to the vision and they don't want to change it. The vision of the house and family comes first. Servants ultimately want to promote and achieve their own vision. That's their priority. Whereas sons catch the big vision. Number seven. Sons bond new people to the family and fathers. Hirelings bond new people to themselves. Sons have no agenda of their own. New people come into the church, they seek to bond them into the church. I can always tell the difference between a son and a servant because a servant will gather unto themselves. See, I'm not interested in gathering people to Jacob Biswell. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in gathering people to the Father. Because when I gather them to the Father, He's building the house. I can't build the house. I can't do it. I would labor in vain. The Father's building the house. One of the keys to leadership is knowing who is bonded to who. Think about Absalom, son of David, set at the gates of the city, bonding people to himself. I'm not going to let people into the city. I'm not going to let them get a glimpse of the king because they need me. 
See, anytime you think people need you, you've become Absalom. And it eventually was used to split the nation because of the power play that was taking place. We need to bond people to the king. And the test, the test of this is when pressure and correction comes. See, Pastor Anna and I, we, we have this, this knowing when we have to bring correction to a situation, we'll immediately know whether we've captured the heart of the person based on how they respond to the correction. Well, I don't like correcting people, y'all. I hate it. It is not fun. I had to, my office used to be back there where the kids ministry is. And I remember one time I had to, this was in the early days of pastoring here. I can say that I've been here seven years now. Um, I had to correct this, this guy and he picked me up and I was, you know, 300 pounds then he picked me up. And this guy was short. He's like five, six. He picked me up and put me up against the wall. And he said, if you ever correct me again, I'll put you through the wall. And I went, man, this guy's strong. <laughs> Wasn't thinking about what he was saying at that moment. I was just thinking, this guy's strong. And so I'm up at the wall and I'm looking down. I mean, he was 5'6". I was 5'11", 300 pounds. And I said, I'm sorry, what is happening here? I am so confused. He says, well, if you don't do what my parents tell you to do, I'm going to put you through the wall. And I said, no, you're not. I said, you need to behave like a good son. He said, that's what a good son does. He puts the pastor through the wall. I thought, what in the world is happening? I was so confused. But what it really came down to is that he was insecure about his sonship. And he thought that being a son meant he had to fight to get away. A son recognizes I have a father who fights on my behalf. Number eight, sons focus on the welfare of the people while servants focus on appearance. See, when someone is unfathered, they're often insecure. They gain their security and sense of identity from events and looking good in the sights of others. They're validated by what happens around them, by what they do, by receiving accolades from people. So everything is about what appears good. Sons, however, are validated by the Father. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Sons gain a significance, a sense of significance and identity when the needs and the welfare of others are met. See, huge conflict will always come when there's a conversation between a servant and a son because the son will say, how are the people being taken care of? And the servant will say, well, how good does the event look? Well, I don't care how good the event looks. Is it meeting the needs of the people? We can have the best event in town, but if it actually isn't meeting the needs of people, then it's not worth the time. Should have seen us trying to hand out food last year. We were a ragtag group of people, but it met the needs of the people. It wasn't about being the most organized and having police officers yell at us because we picked the wrong venue and we had hundreds of cars lined up down Highway 6. It was about meeting the needs of the people. Because it really wasn't about making a name. It was, we have people who have needs. That's how sons operate. Number nine. 
Sons share their inner conversations. Servants tell you only what they want you to know. Inner conversations are what you really think and who you are on the inside. Sons share their hearts, what they're really thinking, even when it might risk relationship with the person in authority. Because what I've learned is I could continue to tell my fathers what I think they want to hear. I'll never grow from that. Because they won't be able to pinpoint how to actually help me. But when I get transparent and I get real, and I, it's actually not even being transparent, it's being vulnerable. Because I can be transparent. But it's about being vulnerable. Honesty and openness is vital value to building intimacy with one another. Servants want to protect their position and will only share what they want you to know. You know you're not getting the real person. They mistake this as being a way to gain approval, but all they gain is suspicion. I can tell when someone's not being real. When you tell me that everything is going perfectly and yet your Facebook post two days ago was a sad face, I know everything's not real. I remember one time I was ministering at a church and we had gone out to lunch. I'd gone out to lunch with the pastor and two tables over was a member of his congregation, actually someone on his leadership team. And my wife can tell you I have this uncanny ability to hear a conversation across the room but not hear what's happening in front of me. Are any of you like that? Squirrel? And I'm honestly trying to listen to this pastor, but I didn't even know this guy was on his leadership team. I did not know. But I'm saying, and all I can hear is this conversation happening two tables over in a crowded, busy restaurant on another side of the planet. And I'm listening to him berate his wife and say horrible things to her. I can't believe you wore that top out. Do you realize how fat you look? You're making us look bad. I mean, terrible things. So I'm not telling the, the pastor what I'm doing. I'm trying to pay attention to the pastor. And he's telling me all the things going wrong and I'm trying to be compassionate, but all I hear is this happening over here. And it's not like he was yelling, but I could hear it. Didn't know who he was. So the end of our meal, this couple get up and they're getting ready to walk out. And they walk over. They see their pastor. Pastor, how are you? It's so good to see you. I can't wait for a leadership meeting. Oh, with the guest ministry later. And I'm going, what do I do? And so I spent all afternoon in prayer. Because I'm having this leadership meeting that night. I'm meeting with all their leaders and I'm supposed to minister to them. And so we get to this leadership meeting and the wife comes in and this husband comes in and I'm going, what do I do? What do I do, Jesus? Do I just address it head on? And the Lord said, ask a question. He said, ask all the leaders how their marriage is. I went, ooh, this is dangerous. <laughs> so I, get, so I, I just said, on a scale of one to ten, where would you all rate your marriages? Well, I get to this couple. Oh, it's a 10. And I thought, what do I do now? And so the Lord said, send them all out and have them in come in one by one. Tell them you're going to minister to them privately. And I'm looking at the pastor. I said, this is what I feel like I'm supposed to do. So I come in. So this couple comes in. And the Lord says, just address it. I said, y'all said your marriage was a 10, but at such and such restaurant today, about 2 o'clock, I heard you telling her that she looked fat and this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And she starts bawling and he goes, how did you hear that? Manifests a demon. I'm not kidding. Snarling, drooling, 
like totally manifest right there in the in this pastor's living room. The pastor's looking at me and what role do they play? Because that's my associate pastor. I said, well, they need a sabbatical. <laughs> Ministered to him, got him delivered. But he was afraid, and this is what it came down to. When I exposed what was happening, he was so afraid that the pastor would kick him off of leadership because he was operating as a servant, not as a son. See, a good father can look and go, okay, yeah, they've got some issues. We can work through this. But a servant is afraid to expose the issues. A servant's afraid to get real about the potholes in their life. I always know a son when they admit their potholes. Number 10. Sons are secure and can handle correction, discipline, and change. Servants who can't take discipline and correction are always blaming others because they're insecure. Hebrews 12 says that discipline is done for children and true sons will embrace correction and discipline. Understand this will only enhance their future development. Servants resist and react to discipline as though it threatens their security with those bringing that discipline and correction. We had, it's a Pastor Appreciation Sunday, and I, I think of, of these pastors that I, I so love, Pastor Tom and Gina Tiemans in, in California. They were the best at bringing correction when it needed to come. I'll never forget, he pulled us into his office one time. We were on staff, and we were a mess, y'all. We look back at our life at that time, and we thought we were so busy. And we thought we are just stretched to the max and we can't do anything extra. And so we were operating as servants, you know. Well, we agreed we'd be there on Sundays and that's and we'll, that's all we're doing. And he pulled us into his office one time and he looked at me and he said, Jacob, you know I love you, right? And I knew it was coming. <laughs> I said, yes, Pastor Tom, I, I do. I really did. I knew he loved me. He said, we need to talk about a situation. He said, now I believe the best about you. I believe that you are a son. And he just began to affirm me. He said, but this particular behavior, this can't continue. He said, because you're better than that. He taught me in that moment how to operate as a father. So when then I have to bring correction to someone, I can look at them and say, you're better than this. You don't have to continue to operate this way. Because I think for so long in our culture, discipline has been a beating, not a building. See, a rebuke should leave us better than we were found. A rebuke was never meant to tear us apart and leave us a mess. A rebuke was to pull us higher. The word for rebuke literally means to grab by the jaw and pull to a higher place. That's what discipline is. It's not let me tear you to pieces and leave you a bloody mess on the ground and forget you. No. That's a slave master. A father says, son, you're down here. Let me bring you up here. But see, because we've lived as servants for so long, even when a father comes to correct us and discipline us, we're ready to be the bloody mess. Because that's all we've ever known. That's why it's important when we're looking at where we want to serve in the various roles, and even as a leader, when I have to put someone, I always look to see how they'll respond to discipline. 
Are they going to operate as a servant and be afraid they're going to lose their position? Or will they operate as a son and go, I want to grow so I can be my best at what I've been called to be. Sons come into the house ready and willing to grow, to change, to be directed, to be challenged. Servants come into the house fully grown. Not teachable, thinking they know everything. I was one of them. I speak from plenty of experience. I used to think I knew everything there was to know about being a prophet. And then God said, go be a pastor. And now I feel like I know nothing about anything. And every day is a new lesson of growing and learning and being challenged. I purposely have not hung my degrees on the wall because they mean nothing when it comes to what God walks us through. You can have the most theology under your belt. You can have the most education. And God goes, here's a new one for you. Here's a new situation for you. Here's a new challenge for you. You know, all the prophets were prophesying that 2020 was the year of vision. We saw a lot. (laughs) Eyes wide open. And yet a lot of people became eyes wide shut. We're just going to close our eyes. 2020 was a year of vision. It was exposing the vision of our heart. It put the pressure on. Sons are secure. They want to know when they are wrong and have no fear about losing their place. All of this, all of this is about attitude. It's about what is really going on in a person's heart. As I start to close this morning, I recognize that we all have history. We all have church hurt. Some of us have been mismanaged by some leader, some pastor, some person in authority. They rejected us because we sinned. They rejected us because we messed up, kicked us out. I was reflecting. I've been kicked out of a church before. I had a pastor tell me I was a one-winged flamingo from the pulpit. He said, you one-winged flamingo, get out of my church and never come back. I didn't even know what I'd done. I thought, I've just been praying for people. Because you asked me to. I I didn't know what I'd done. We've all been hurt. I had a, a, a spiritual mom sit across the table from me. Tell me I was the most pathetic, worthless human being she'd ever met. I loved this woman. And she said, you disgust me. And I thought, all I did was this and this. But it exposed what was in her heart. The healing she needed. And I think too often we build pedestals for leaders. And we forget their humanity. When we all operate as sons, hear that. When we all operate as sons, we understand each other a lot better. We give grace for each other. 
we grow together. We understand that my job isn't to make you perfect. My job is to get you in his presence. That's what your job is. It's to take people into an encounter with Jesus. And the result of our hurts is that we will self-protect ourselves from this happening again. That's understandable. Listen, it is understandable. But then we're taken to a point of being able to give ourselves to one another. And the real pain of our hurt is disconnection. And the point in sharing all these comparisons is to help us understand where our hearts are really at. I have three questions for you this morning. What level of mistrust lives in your hearts? That's the first one. What level of mistrust lives in your hearts? What level of self-preservation controls your relationships? What, What walls have you built around yourself? If you're on social media, these questions will be up today. What level of insecurity and holding an aloof attitude dominates your decision-making and relational connection? These are questions we need to examine about ourselves because it hinders us from possessing the promises God has for us. When we live with mistrust in our hearts, we will always live from a place of what's their real motive? Why why do they want to have coffee with me? Why, why Why do they want to connect? I'm not worth connecting with. They have some ulterior motive. I lived like that for years, y'all. I, real transparent here, real vulnerable. It wasn't until November of 2020, I actually started letting my heart trust people again. I had been through so much hurt and so much pain, especially in traveling ministry, going into churches and I'm the best thing since sliced bread when I'm there. And these pastors who would call me their friends, they could care less if I existed. When we were walking through things with with Pastor Anna a couple years ago in 2019, listen, our church was, was great. People around the world were praying for Pastor Anna. But I'll tell you, it was one of the most lonely seasons in my life. Because friends who I thought would be there wouldn't even respond to a text when my wife was dying. So I'm being real vulnerable this morning. Why? Because I know some of you are dealing with the same things. You've been through the hurt. Your own families have rejected you. I had a family member at a funeral get up and say, this false prophet over here. Craig was there. Watched it happen. This guy went on a tirade about false prophets and looking right at me. Man, you manifested. You were there too, Shelly, right? Okay. Greg and Shelly were there. We've all been through it, y'all. But don't wear those badges as badges of honor. I've been through tough stuff. Yeah, we all have. 
Remove those badges. Stop wearing your hurts as a trophy. Put them on the altar. And take up the presence of Jesus. Become a son. Let God heal your heart. This morning, I recognize each one of us are on a journey towards wholeness. We will all continue to be on a journey towards wholeness till He comes or takes us. This morning, if you've got brokenness that needs to be healed, you're dealing with relationships, you're dealing with promises that haven't come to pass, I want to pray for you. If you've never made a decision for Christ this morning, if you're watching online, you're in the room, if you've never surrendered your life to Him, two things need to take place. You need to repent of your sin. Sin, that which separates us from our holy, loving Father. You need to repent. That's not just saying, I'm sorry, that's changing your mind about it. It's the first thing that you need to do. Actually, the first thing you need to do is believe. Believe that He loves you. He died for you. He rescued you. Once you've believed, the second thing you need to do is repent. And then the third thing is confess with your mouth that He is Lord and you shall be saved. This morning we're going to pray together. If that's you this morning, you've never made that decision, I want you to put your hand up. If it's been a long time since you made that decision, you feel far off from Him, I want you to put your hand up. If you're watching online, throw that little hand signal up. I'll see it here. I see see hands here. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I believe that you're the Son of God. That you died for me. I repent of all of my sin. And I confess that you are Lord of my life today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram or Facebook or visit www.equippingcenter.us.